Are you right with God? The relationship that you have with God, is it healthy? Now, if you're not sure that you're born again, of course, the answer to that question is no. We don't have a healthy relationship. But if you do know that you're a believer, I mean, you know that there was a time and a place where you genuinely repented of your sin. You know your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's no question about that. But maybe there's a disconnect recently, or maybe it's been for months, maybe even years. You know that you should be and really need to be. You need to be on speaking terms, good speaking terms with your God. You never know when your beloved wife or husband or child or grandchild is gravely ill, that's when you're going to want to make sure that you're on good speaking terms with your Father. God is a person. Yes, He's a spirit, but He is a person. We are made in the image of God. As a person, He has feelings. He has, uh, we have a relationship with Him, and we certainly should be uh, and have a right, good, healthy relationship with Him. It seemed like after we talked about temptation for a few weeks, the natural progression was to say, well, what happens if we do give in to temptation and we do slip, we do uh, get uh, crossways with God? What then? Well, the Lord just led me to at least take three Bible characters. We'll see after that, but Take the life of David, who we talked about last week, this week, Jonah, and next week, the Lord willing, Peter. And in today's study, we're going to talk about how even preachers can lose their closeness with God. But it's more than that. It is the glorious story of a homecoming, Jonah, the story of Jonah. And if there's any story in the Bible that perhaps has to endure the uh, the attacks of unbelievers and of atheists. It's the story of Jonah. Like one preacher said, is this the tale of a whale or is this a whale of a tale? We're going to talk about uh, Jonah and the great fish. Now, some in our enlightened day think that a, a story of a whale, the Bible says great fish swallowing a man is just a fairy tale. But actually, there are recorded historical instances of when that happened. I actually even read one this week and thinking about this message in the 1890s. The fellow stayed in the whale for a couple of days or so, and then uh, they had a story of him, and he had his own words, and amazing up there in the England area. But a little girl was in class, and she had an atheist school teacher. He sneered at her for reading her Bible and asked if she believed all that was in the Bible. She said, yes, I do. He said, do you even believe Jonah and the whale story too? She said, yes. He said, well, how could have that ever happened? She said, I don't know, but I'll find out when I get to heaven. He said, well, what if Jonah isn't there? Then I guess you'll have to ask him for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. Well, this morning we're going to talk about Jonah, and we believe it's a real story, and because the Bible says it is, 
And of course, the story has an amazing reminder of how to have a healthy relationship with God. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the fact that you even want us back. I don't even know why, Lord, how often we mess up and don't think about you and go about our own way. But Lord, you are a merciful, loving God for sure. Thank you for a good reminder of how you love to bring us back into your fold. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Jonah is perhaps uh, one of the greatest critiques about a believer's spiritual condition that comes back into a good place to be. Now, we live in an information-based society, and there's all kinds of trouble indicators. There are weather warnings. There are in economic indicators, even our cars. Uh, we got a new car about a year ago. We hadn't had a newer car for many years, and boy, I tell you, it has all kinds of indicators and things. I still don't even know all kinds of symbols on that dash. And, but you know, the fact is God gives some indicators in this story about our need to return to God. What gauge did God use? Well, let's go to Jonah chapter, the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. And in Jonah, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. The first indicator that God sends that we need to return, and that was that he ignored God's word. Notice very clearly in this verse that the Holy Spirit, who wrote the Bible, said, Go to Nineveh. That is not something that Jonah wanted to hear, for sure. It was not on his bucket list, trust me. Go to Nineveh? He was not interested in doing what the Bible said. And that may sound terrible, but the fact is, I've been there. Perhaps you have too. To this day, I'll be honest with you, there are times when I'm reading the Bible and I read things I don't like. I just don't like it. I'm not saying I don't believe it's true. I'm just saying I don't like it. I read it and think, oh man, that just sounds terribly hard or challenging or whatever. And that's how Jonah was. He just simply said, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. But ignoring God's word is definitely an indicator it is time to reevaluate. All of us have, that are, have a few years under our belt uh, remember Charlie Brown, uh, comic story and comic line. Charlie Brown's sister Sally was struggling one time to recall her memory verse for Sunday, and she was trying to figure it out. She said, well, maybe it was something from the book of real, reevaluation. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the book of Revelation, I think, is a book of reevaluation, isn't it? The truth is, all of us need to reevaluate some things sometimes. We need to reevaluate our attitudes and reevaluate our actions. Make sure they square up with what God is saying. First of all, God simply said, you got to go to Nineveh. I don't know how there could be a lot of question about that, but there was. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. Now, unknown probably to everybody else, Jonah, maybe not, but unknown to probably most people, 
Jonah had harbored a sin for years. He was a man of God. He was a Christian. But he had swept this particular sin under the rug. He had hid it in his closet. And what was that sin? Well, at least we know this much, that over the years he had allowed himself to become prejudiced. He just really didn't like the whole group of Ninevite people. When he heard the words, go to Nineveh, that was like telling him to go to prison or something. He just couldn't even stand the thoughts of it. Now, a little bit of um, uh, background might help us here. Assyria, which today would be Iran, was a brutal, godless, terrible group of people, really, for the most part. They hated God. They certainly hated the Jewish people. They were not only just political rivals and uh, another nation, but they were very inhumane. The things that they would do to people, that uh, were, their enemies were just unbelievably terrible. And as a group of people, uh, they had some issues for sure. But uh, even that was the case, they still needed to be saved. You know, it's like seeing a group of wild teenagers or you know, they're disrespecting everything and jumping on tables and playing their loud music. And my first reaction is, man, those little, you know, runts, a little, you know, boy, you just want to be angry. But you know, the Christ reaction is, those are people that need Jesus right there. That's the reaction. You know, what, what do we think? That's what happens when people need Jesus Christ. And so, Jonah looked at this nation, and he couldn't get past the fact of how terrible they were, and he just let it consume him. Frankly, he was biased, prejudiced. Some might say the word racist. I don't think that's a good word, but he was certainly felt terrible about them. He put them all in one basket, kind of like one of our presidential candidates a couple years ago that talked all about this great basket of deplorables. Well, that's what Jonah thought about the people of Nineveh. He could not stand them. He had a secret sin of prejudice. Number two, the second indicator that he needed to return to God was not only did he ignore God's word, but he neglected God's calling. Verse two, God said, arise, <laughs> get up out of your chair, and get out there and do something about this. And Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. He neglected his evangelistic responsibility. God told Jonah to preach. I want you to go preach the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Go preach the gospel to those terrible people in Nineveh. And Jonah was just not having it for sure. And it's obvious that his uh, ideas and his mindset had become out of focus. There were at least three reasons why I can see that. Notice, first of all, it says, but Jonah rose up. But that little word there, he knew exactly what God wanted him to do, but he said, I don't want to do that. God said, rise up and preach. Jonah said, but... No, he had a reason for what he was going to do or not do. It says he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship. <laughs> wow, 
Amazing. Here I was walking along, and just so happened there happened to be a ship to Joppa. Wow, this must be from the Lord. I prayed about it, and God is, doesn't want me to go to Nineveh. He wants me to go to Joppa. I found a ship. <laughs> he just happened to find it. No, he was looking for that ship, and he was looking for anywhere but Nineveh. It says he was going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof. And by the way, whenever we sin, we definitely pay the fare. There's always a payment to be made. And he went down, and the way of sin is always down. He went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. First of all, I want you to notice he was purposing to flee. Can you think about that? Running from God? That doesn't make sense. There are three conditions in the Christian life. The first one is going nowhere. That means we just never even get started. You get saved, but you go nowhere. There are those who get saved, but go backward. And they start, but then they quit. And there are those who are going strong. Going nowhere, going backward, and going strong. Which am I? He stood up and said, all right, I'm ready to be counted for. But no, that was not Jonah. Here he decided to run. And folks, you can't run from God. He said, I'm going to run from God. But notice what he decided to do. He said, I'm going to run to Tarshish. The insanity of how we are. His rebellion led him to do and to go someplace he would have never, ever considered previously. Tarshish? Really? Jonah, you were going to leave the perfect will of God. You were going to go from where you're at to Tarshish. That's what you feel like is going to be so wonderful. It reminds me of what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 6. Jesus said unto the twelve, he said, will you also go away? And then Simon Peter said some of the greatest statement I've ever heard. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. What other choice is there? I mean, think about every other choice but God. Folks, that's a dead-end street. That's Tarshish. Unbelievable that he would leave the fulfillment of being a prophet of the Lord so he could go spend some time in Tarshish. I've been in the ministry for 40 years, and I have seen people that have had such effective ministries for the Lord, maybe a, a vocalist or a teacher, someone who just was so used of the Lord. And then somewhere along the line, they just decide to run to Tarshish, and they choose Tarshish over the things of God. And then one day you catch up with them, or nowadays you can find them on a Facebook page or something, and you look at their lives and you see them just running from bar to bar or whatever they're doing, you just think, so that's it. That's, that's what you did? I mean, that's why you left the things of God? That's why you left church? So you could go bar hopping? Really? My goodness, what are we thinking? And that's what I want to say to Jonah here. I want to say, Jonah, really? You left the will of God so you could spend your days in Tarshish. Notice what it said. It says that he tried to run. He fled. Number two, he went to Tarshish. And then it says, from God. 
He tried to run from God. Now, folks, that's not going to work. You know none of us can run from God. It's like a toddler putting his hands over his eyes and saying, you can't see me. What are we thinking? God can't find us when we're out there running around in sin? Well, if God's out of my life, I'm not accountable anymore. If I don't go to church, I don't have to give. <laughs> really? So you're a Christian, and if you don't go to church anymore, that alleviates you of the responsibility of giving your tithes and offering? That kind of reminds me of that movie title I saw one day called Dumb and Dumber. I'll tell you what, folks, that just doesn't work. It is absurd. Nobody can run from God. Indicator number one, he ignored God's word. Number two, he neglected God's calling. Indicator number three, he disregarded God's correction. Verse number five, the mariners were afraid. The ship was cracking up. But look at the last part of verse five. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Everybody with any sense was afraid, but not Jonah. He was absolutely sleeping, fast asleep. And I think in this uh, point here, it's a good metaphor for spiritual indifference. So many Christians today are asleep, don't even realize that their relationship with God is not healthy. Kind of remind me of that DMV work we found out about in California the other day. They've been sleeping so many days away of their responsibility. I'm reminded of the story of the fellow who always fell asleep during the pastor's message. His wife just was so embarrassed, got tired of her husband always just sleeping. So she took a large hat pin with her with the intention of sticking him if he nodded off just to keep him awake. Sure enough, right in the middle of the pastor's message, he nodded off. Just at that time, the pastor thundered a question, who was it that made the heaven and the earth? And at that time, she jabbed her husband. He jumped out of the pew and screamed, good God Almighty. And the pastor said, amen, brother. That's exactly right. Amen, brother. Don't fall asleep in church. What's Jonah doing sleeping? Indicators that God sends that we need to return. Number two, reproofs that God uses to awake us from spiritual indifference. Number one, he brings storms around us. Look at verse four. Here he was sleeping, and God brings a storm. The Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest into the sea so that the ship was likely to be broken. Jonah was heading in the wrong direction physically, but more importantly, he was headed in the wrong direction spiritually. So God intervened. We might call it a divine intervention. Sometimes people will talk to somebody and say, we need to do an intervention. <laughs> well, amen. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had a council, and they said, we need to do an intervention on Jonah. And so the winds and the waves served as God's great agitator. Pauline and I were looking for a new uh, washing machine. Well, she really was. I didn't care. But um, we went to look for a new washing machine, and we went to the down to one of those places, and we were looking at it, and this lady who was t telling about it said, this one doesn't even have an agitator. I said, doesn't have an agitator? And uh, opened that thing up, and sure enough, there was no little thing in the middle that, you know, pushes, and, and I thought, you know, that's a great term, agitator. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's God's divine agitator. He's like shaking us, and he's moving us around so he can clean us up. But uh, 
That's what God wants to do. God sends storms. He brings storms around you. Number two, he touches someone near you. Verse five, the mariners were afraid and cried every man to his own God. Now Jonah had sinned, but the sailors were suffering. Sometimes I hear people whine, I'm only hurting myself with my addiction. Are you kidding me? That's like saying, well, I can steal from a department store because, you know, they won't even miss it. I remind you that all sin has consequences. And as a Christian, because of our association as a body, it spills over to our family, our friends, the congregation, and worse of all, to the cause of Christ. It affects other people. The Prussian king, Frederick the Great, which once touring a Berlin prison years ago, the prisoners, when they saw him, fell on their knees before him to proclaim each one, I'm innocent. <laughs> except for one man who remained silent. Frederick called to him, why are you here, sir? Armed robbery, your majesty. And are you guilty? Yes, indeed. I deserve my punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer and ordered him, release this guilty man right now. I will not have him kept in this prison. Well, he will corrupt all the fine people that here in this place truth is, you know, we need to admit that our sin affects others. He brings storms around you. He touches someone near you, and he exposes disobedience in you. Verse 6, the shipmaster came to him and said, what are you doing? Arise, call upon your God. Why don't you, why, why are you just laying there? Verse 7, they said, let's cast lots so we may know who's caused this evil upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. This preacher was so far from God that God had to use an unbeliever to get his attention. And it's amazing who God will use to speak to us. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> the prophet Isaiah said, a little child shall lead them. One time when Luke was just a little boy, we uh, used to, you know, preach to him about all kinds of things, drinking, smoking. We'd put a little cigarette in his mouth and a little pencil. And we'd say, look there, smoke, look there. And uh, then we'd say, put it on the ground. You're that bad. And so he was like two years old. He's bad, bad, like that, you know. <laughs> Our next door neighbor was a nice guy, really. And I'm not trying to criticize him, but he had a smoking habit. And uh, little Luke was uh, there. He went outside and he saw him smoking. Well, people who smoke, they have all kinds of techniques. And they, you know, they kind of hang it out of their mouth, and then when they talk, you know, it flops up and down, and, you know, they suck it in, it's gone for a while, then it pops out of their nose, you know, out of their ears, and, and uh, Luke was fascinated because he was smoking and talking, and he was just staring at him and thinking, oh boy, son, please, don't, don't say something, just, you know, and he started talking, I think he was nine months old, so here he was, two or three years old, and uh, our next door neighbor was here just smoking and talking, and Luke finally looked up and said, smoking is bad. And uh, he looked down and Luke said, I know, I know, I'm trying to quit. And, uh, but you know what? A little child will lead them. And that's what God said. Some God, God uses a child. Jesus said, even the rocks will cry out that I am the Messiah. God uses rocks. In the Old Testament, God even used a donkey to talk to preacher Balaam. 
I'll tell you what, God uses who he wants to. And here God used a bunch of unsaved, salty sailors to tell the preacher that he was out of the will of God. It says the lots singled out Jonah. Accident? No, God just made it happen that way. And so what did Jonah need to do? He needed to confess. He needed to confess that he was the culture. And when God wants us back, hallelujah, it only takes one step. Someone once said that if, there, if you've put a thousand steps between you and God, all you need to do is take one step, and he'll do 999. And old Jonah, all he needed to do is just turn one step back, and God would have met him. Indicators that God sends that we need to return, reproofs that God uses to awaken us, some spiritual indifference, and then finally, steps that God offers. Come back. First of all, he needed a place to regroup, a sanctuary, as it were. Verse 17, now the Lord prepared a sanctuary, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. <laughs> he needed a spiritual retreat. Now the men get to go up to the beautiful Craig Ranch up there, and women go to different places, and, but uh, the insides of a fish were, da- were Jonah's spiritual retreat. God was not done with Jonah. If God was done with Jonah, instead of sending a whale, he would have sent a shark by and chewed him up and spit him out and said, that's it, I'm done with you, preacher. But he wasn't. He sent a fish by. And there he was. Notice what the Bible says in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. <laughs> We have read nowhere else that Jonah had been praying. Finally, God gets his attention. Finally, after all this agitation, he starts praying. And where was this place that God sent him? It was the sanctuary of a fish's belly. Now, what is it that makes a church auditorium a sanctuary? What is it that makes a spiritual retreat, a prayer closet, or even a fish's belly a sanctuary? It's where we meet God. And it's where we see his power and his glory. And here it was. God was stripping this preacher of his pride and his prejudice in the belly of a fish. Jonah got alone with God. And when he got alone with God, he was able to hear God. Sometimes we don't have a place to meet him. We're so busy going here and going there, we don't go to a place. Jesus said, go to your closet. He didn't mean go to a closet, although when I was in Bible college, that's exactly what I did. We had a big walk-in closet there, and there's no other place to go, and I just went into that closet. I'd bury myself in the back corner there and put those quilts over me, and I met with God. It was literally a closet. The fact is, we don't need a mountaintop to meet God. We don't need a closet. We can be in a fish's belly, but we do need a place, a place to regroup. And then we need a time to reflect. How much time did Jonah need? Well, he needed three days. Three days in the fish's belly. Three days alone with God, and he was a different man. And it doesn't even take three days. It can take 30 minutes. You can be in a service like this, and just the music, the presence of the Lord, and then a message from God, and all of a sudden you say, you know what? I've had some time to reflect. That's why the devil tries to keep everybody from going to church. He doesn't want them to have a place to regroup, and a time to reflect. That's why the devil tries to keep people from having their private Bible time in the morning, because he doesn't want you to have a place to regroup 
and a time to reflect. We need both. We need a place and we need a time. But I want you to notice what Jonah did. He prayed the scripture in the belly of the fish. He prayed scripture. I was talking with a precious lady recently and I told her, I honestly think that the only way you're going to get out of this thing is to pray scripture. She said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, uh, it really is just like, I'm, like it says. You use scripture, the verses of scripture, as your basis for your prayer requests. You just pray them back to God. That's really one of the reasons why God gave us a written word so that we could have a promise to go to Him with. We pray Scripture. And specifically, He prayed the Psalms. Someone asked me, uh, has asked me many times over the years, and what was it? In particular, I remember one case, a brother Hayden asked me, he said, What would you say is the single thing that helped you come back from Lynette's death. And I said, because he said, honestly, every preacher I know that I am acquainted with, every preacher I know who lost his wife during the ministry is out of the ministry today. He said, I was the only one he'd ever known that had, had lost his wife during his time in the ministry that was still in the ministry. And I said, well, I've got an incredible family and an amazing church family. But I said, well, there's one practice that I did. And that was I began to pray all the Psalms. I started in Psalms 1 and went through Psalm 150. I prayed through every Psalm. Day after day, hour after hour, praying the Psalms. And there's a reason for God gave us the Psalms. Because they're passionate. And when you're grieving... You're just, you can't even think straight. All you know is people say, you lost your wife. Oh. <laughs> no, I lost my heart. I lost my brains. I lost my hands, my feet. God is so gracious to bring that back in my life with a beautiful Pauline. But I will tell you, you don't lose someone that you're one with. You lose yourself. And so at that point, you need something to draw you to God, and the Psalms are amazing. Notice, and I read this, one of the commentaries, said, I'd never noticed this before. In, in Jonah 2, there are at least six references where he prayed the Psalms. In, Psalm, or in Jonah 2 and verse 3, we compare it with Psalm 42 and verse 7. In Jonah 2 and verse 4, we can find Psalm 31 and verse 22. In Jonah 2 and verse 5, we find Psalm 69 and verse 1. In Jonah 2 and verse 6 and 7, we find Psalm 147 and verse 3. In Jonah 2 and verse 7, we find Psalm 18 and verse 6. And in Jonah 2, 9, we find Psalm 8, 3. Jonah was praying Scripture, but specifically, he was praying the Psalms. Let me say this statement, and I want you to write this down and remember. Praying the Word of God is critical to your relationship with God. Spiritual recovery, it, you, will, you will not be able to get spiritual recovery unless you pray the Scriptures. 
because it's God's Word. It's a compass. It brings us back to Him. If we follow it, it will help us. It's like a compass. Those of you that love to go out hiking, I know that you depend so much on your compass. I know people have on their phones now and other things, but the fact is it's still one of the greatest ways to know. If we're going to go west or we're going to go east, we'll eventually find that highway. I read the story recently about a man who went to the upper woods of Michigan, and there one season overgrown and dark, and he knew that he needed to get out of there. And he was so assured of his direction, he just kept his compass in his pocket. But just to double check, he pulled it out of his pocket and realized, at least according to the compass, he was going the exact opposite way that he was supposed to. But he was so assured that he was going in the right direction, he just was irritated at his compass. He was mad at it. He just said, unbelievable, this compass didn't even do what it's supposed to do. He was just about ready to toss it as being broken when he said, you know what? This compass has never led me wrong yet. Maybe I better follow it. So he turned around, went the opposite way. Sure enough, his thoughts, his recollections had got so twisted around, it was his compass that led him out of trouble. And folks, that's what God's Word is. It is a compass to lead us in the right direction. Don't trust your feelings. And that's why we need to pray the Psalms. There are four responses that Jonah made concerning God's correction. First of all, he said, I recognize your hand, verse 3 of chapter 2, for thou cast me into the deep. And he wasn't mad at him. He just recognized it. The floods compassed me about all thy billows, thy waves came over me. He said, you did that. I know it. And when he saw that the things that were happening in his life, it took a bunch of unsaved mariners, (laughs) sailors to tell him that you better... Shape up here. God's trying to get a hold of you. Jonah finally realized he shouldn't put off repentance another day. Someone once said, if you put off repentance another day, you just have one more day to repent of and one less day to repent in. I recognize your hand. And the second thing that he did was he said, I seek your face. Verse number four. And I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again. I want to seek your face. I turn my eyes back to you. And I think really that's a good definition of backslidden. Backsliding is just taking my eyes off of the Lord. When I get my eyes off the Lord, I'm going to be backsliding. And I think a good definition of repentance is getting your eyes back on the Lord. Someone once said that man is born with his back towards God. And when he truly repents... He just turns around and faces God. And I guess that would be the question I ask is, do you have a face-to-face relationship with God? You know, sometimes couples can be even married for years and really never look at each other in the face. They'll sit at a table, look at this, look at that. They'll sit next to each other. But where we actually look at each other in the eye, have you ever thought about how really seldom we actually look each other in the eye? And just look them deep in the eye for a moment and say, I love you. 
or I appreciate you, or I respect you, or whatever the words are. But you know what? That's exactly what God wants. God wants us to be face-to-face with Him. And when we do that, when we seek His face, we are responding God's way. I recognize your hand. I'm not mad at you. I see it. I seek your face. And then I praise your compassion. Verse 6, I was down in the bottoms of the mountain. The earth with her bars was about me, yet thou brought me up my life from corruption. I was in the pit. Man, I was at the bottom. And if God hadn't reached down, I'd be gone. He just said, I thank you, God. You are so loving. Don't view God as mean or angry or upset. Just, God, I'm so thankful for your compassion. I recognize your hand. I seek your face. I praise your compassion. And then perhaps the most important to prove that it's true, I re-enlist to your cause. Chapter 2, verse 9, but I will sacrifice. Lord, I want to give up something. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay. It's going to cost me. Salvation is of the Lord. I will pay. Repentance without obedience results in negligence. When we feel guilty, we ought to do something about it. We ought to be sincere and serious. There was a man who sent a check to the government for back taxes. He owed some taxes, and so he sent back a note to the IRS. Here's what the note said. He said, I felt so guilty for cheating on my taxes. I had to send you this check. And if I don't feel any better, I will send you the rest. And that's what I think a lot of our repentance is with God, isn't it? we just like, you know what, I'm going to repent of this, and if I don't feel any better, I'll even repent of more. We'll repent enough to until we take the pain or the pressure off. But that's not what Jonah did. He said, you know what, I am going to absolutely repent. I'm coming home, Lord. I don't want anything between us face to face. That's how I want to live. I thank you for your mercy and compassion. I face, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with you face to face, not side by side, face to face. There was a man in a church who was well known for his uh, always rededicating his life, which isn't a bad thing, but it seemed kind of suspect sometimes. And he always prayed the same prayer, Lord, oh Lord, remove the cobwebs from my life. And upon hearing that prayer yet one more time, the pastor leaned over, whispered a prayer for that man. He said, and Lord, kill the spiders too. It's okay to want to get rid of the cobwebs, but I think maybe we better get down to the spiders. That's the root of this matter. A teacher, when asked, when should a person, asked a Bible teacher, When should a man make things right with God? I talk with people all the time. Well, you know, someday I'll, when I've done my thing, I'm going to come back to God. I'm going to get in church one of these days. A teacher, a Bible teacher was asked, when should a man make things right with God? The Bible teacher said, well, you ought to repent on the last day of your lives for sure. I said, well, how do we know when that will be? And the teacher said, exactly, repent now. (laughs) Repent now. 
And that's what he needed to do. Jonah, run to Tarshish? Really? That's what you, that's what the, it's so exciting for you? You would rather go to Tarshish, live there, and bar hop, and do whatever you want to do, rather than have the fulfillment of being used by God, just because you don't like these people, they're a basket of deplorables to you? Come on, Jonah, get right with God and get back face-to-face with God. Come home, Jonah. Repent. Do what you're supposed to do. And thank God he did. Thank God for the story of Jonah. Would you bow your heads with me, please?